Hello, this is the Waking Sober Podcast, a podcast about life in recovery through Christ. My name is Derek. To my left, we have Jim. Wiggy, wiggy. Across from me, we have Pastor Shane. Hello, hello. And the gentleman we've all been waiting for, <laughs> Pastor Jeremy. Say hello. Hello. Yes, the brother we've been waiting on has come to join us. A brother from another mother. Yes. Parable of the lost brother. <laughs> yeah. And he's now found. There you go. It makes we sense for tonight. It makes sense for <laughs> Right? Awesome. All right. Hey, before we get started, man, I wanted to bring up uh, this uh, soundboard. I really want to give this guy credit that we had got this from, mm-hmm. the God moment. So I want to share some God moments. But this, uh, we went to, contacted the guy. When I got on the thing to contact him, he said he lived, on Facebook said he lived out like an hour and a half away from us. But he was, sell, he was selling this mix board. Oh, over in Illinois, yeah. And yeah, in Illinois. So I contacted him, and uh, he finally contacted me back, gave me his number. And when I called him, he was like, hey, where do you live? I said, well, I live in O'Fallon, Missouri. Oh, that's cool. I live in Defiance. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> you know, five miles away. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, it was actually 12 minutes from my house to this guy's house. So we get there, and it was 400 bucks. That's what he wanted for it, $100. And we're talking to him, and then he decided he dropped it down to 80 I was like, All right, cool. You take Venmo. Oh, yeah, let me go get my wife's phone. Yeah. Well, we when we were talking to him, we both said, you know, well, this is going to be for a podcast. We're going to talk about sobriety and Jesus and all this stuff. He's like, Wow, that's great! And you know, so we talked to him for a good ten minutes, fifteen minutes, at, at least. Yeah, yeah, super, super great guy, super. That, yeah. So he go, he's like, yeah, let me go get my wife's phone. So he goes in there before he even gets to the door. He turns around and comes back. Says, guys, you're doing God's work. Take it with you. Cheers. That's awesome. So Wayne, if you ever hear this, nothing but love for you, brother. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, Thanks, this Wayne. thing's been great. Yeah. Yeah. What a blessing. Because I know you've had fun over there with it. Oh, yeah, we're having good times. Oh, yeah. Learning how to turn us down. He's always wanted control over how loud we speak and how, how much we speak. If only I could and, do that. And he's got it now. Now he has control. Now he has control. He can just mute us whatever I he wants. I have the power. <laughs> the codependent box. <laughs> two minutes for talking too much. Well, we'd all be in trouble. Right. So tonight... So yes, tonight we are discussing the prodigal son and what that has to do with the recovery. And that, so to get started, since the, uh, he hasn't been there the last few shows, uh, Jeremy, would you be more than kind to read the prodigal son out of the Bible for us? Out We're going to Luke chapter 15, verse 11. Jesus tells the parable of the lost son. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I will set out to go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field, and when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed a fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, Look, all these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. 
But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Amen. That's beautiful. So what I like about that, though, is in recovery, and that a lot of individuals, addicts, alcoholics, whatever you want to call them, don't want to come because they're afraid God's going to turn their back on them. So, you know, hey, just make me the less of these, you know, in order for me to come back. And then, and then at the same time, we got members of the church a lot of times acting like that older brother. It's like, you know, hey, man, I've been here all this time doing, you know, doing your work, God. I ain't going to let this addict come up in here and just, you know, walk on in and praise him and all good for him, you know. Any thoughts on that? Mm. Yes, unfortunately, that is the church. <laughs> it's filled with um, human people that um, love to have their way. You know, so I never thought about it till you said it, that the church is the older brother. But really, yeah, I mean, we've been here this time. We built this church. You know, this is my chair, matter of fact. This is my spot in the pew. <laughs> Even though yeah. your name's not on it, <laughs> and you didn't actually pay money for it. Well, my tithes, what do you mean? I paid. <laughs> I paid for that. I paid for that spot right there. And, but it's, it's strange. It's, it's like when you move the cross just to a different location, or there's not enough light in, on it. Yeah, it's, it's amazing that, that well, they color the carpet up is. Oh, that was me. They, uh, they did a new thing at, at my church, right? They, they got rid of the two side screens, and now there's just a center screen. And ever since then, they've got all these lights and stuff. And I'm like, the lights are blinding me. They're blinding me. But then the one big thing that I noticed, they didn't light up the cross anymore. And it's been since before Easter. Mm. I, need, I need to talk to somebody about that. That's what I need to do. I mean, it's your church. You you pay yeah. to be there. You want to see the cross <laughs> lit up. I get I, it. I, I pay to have that cross lit up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You my tithe, I told you, goes to light that cross. If you're not right. lighting that cross, you don't need my money anymore. Yeah, let's not talk about uh, chocolate milk either, or hot chocolate. But yeah, the uh, the colored carpets, right? So Derek and I are in this Bible study on Saturday mornings, and we had a guy there, Pastor Steve, and he talked about the church that was torn in two because one side wanted red carpeting, the other side wanted blue carpeting or something stupid like that. They could not come together. It was that big of an issue that it tore the church in two. Just do red and blue carpet squares. See, right. You, you would think, right? <laughs> Christmas all year round. Then we talk about that last podcast. We talk about the compromise of everything. Yeah. You know, just mix it up a little bit. That's right. There's yeah, just pick green then. It would have been okay. Mm-hmm. Or purple. Put the two colors together, right? Yeah, I would have been good with purple, too. Then during That'll COVID, go. it would have been okay if it was green. Nobody would have seen the snot. <laughs> You're welcome, Jeremy. <laughs> All right, so, th- so but, I think we've had enough time dissing yeah. the church being the older brother, right? <laughs> Different question. <laughs> really, you know, since this is a recovery podcast, we need to um, address how. That makes you crazy, mister. Yes, it does. <laughs> but address the fact, what does the prodigal son have to do with that recovery and stuff like that? I got to quit saying that. Stuff like that, yeah. Yes. And stuff like that. So we've got stuff like that. Would you stop? This is we're recording. <laughs> oh, wait. This is live? Oh, darn. <laughs> It'll be good. It'll be good. So we can cut that out, right? I hope you can. Okay, sure. No, we have a, uh, a few questions here. Not really questions, but points that it make that made towards recovery with the prodigal son. First one being, we are all given a choice. Right? The father gave the prodigal son freedom when he agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. Luke 15, 12. God gives us all a choice. Although we are free to choose addiction, we are not free to choose the consequences. And on top of that, we're free to choose our codependent ways and other things. It's not just about addiction. (laughs) I thought he was going to say codependent wife. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I taught on free will this weekend, right? So we have the free will, but the problem is 
if I decide to, to take that first hit, that first drink or whatever, I, there's a consequence to the action. If, if I'm sexually promiscuous and I end up with a disease or pregnant, well, obviously <laughs> I'm not getting pregnant, I just look it. Um, but then that's on me, that's my decision. That's the consequence to the action. Um, becoming addicted is not our choice, but putting the first drink, the first drug, whatever into our body is our choice. Yeah. And then once we make that choice and we're through our addiction, our compulsive behaviors, and we come clean, does that make us like the prodigal son? Just on, on, just on the face of it? Or is it, do we need to do something else? Like, are we just given grace? Like this guy, that was, that was the ultimate form of grace, right? Except for what God does for us. As a father, having his son come home and just throwing a party from the guy who, quote unquote, squandered all of the riches of the father. Isn't it, isn't it written in the Bible that every time somebody comes to the Lord, the angels are throwing a party? Here, there, there's nothing that we could do to earn the grace. We know this. Nothing that we could do to earn grace. We don't deserve the grace. That's why it's grace. It's the unmerited favor of God. So there's nothing that we could do, but because of the grace we have received, we do these things. We don't do these things to re get rewarded, but we do them because of. And so that's what, that's what it's about. Hook, line, and James, James knew somebody would have to go for yeah, it. Yeah, I was about to if you didn't. Oh, yeah. No, that's perfect. You guys walked right into that. I love it. At the same time, though, it's kind of, I mean, it is just like, this, this relationship is that relationship of God is, is where God was always the same and he never changed. He was there the entire time. Yep. And then my choices are the ones that led me out where I was, right? Yep. And when I decided to come back to him, it was like he was waiting with his open arms, mm -hmm. you know? And, and like you said, there's nothing I could do to earn his grace. Nothing, you know? That was already shed, you know? So is what I like about the recovery part of it, because he they say it twice in there, I believe, dead but alive again, lost but found. He said it when he first got home, right? I don't know what verse it's in. But then towards the end when he's talking to his brother, he says, your brother was dead, but now he's alive. He was lost, but now he's found. How significant is that if they mention it twice in that short of a, of a story? Well... I mean, the significance is really there, and it goes back to being the church being the older brother. You know, we come through, so we come back to Christ through Celebrate Recovery or whatever the program or something like that. You come in, and yet the church still, you know, we're work, we do, we serve at the church, we do what we can, and yet the church seems to turn their nose up to us. Like, I've been here all this time, you know, back to all that whole thing. You know, and it's obviously God's trying to tell the people of the church, hey, he was dead, but now he's alive. And he's working for me. Why can't y'all not see that? Exactly. They did put it in there twice, right? They did put it in there yeah. twice, yes. It yes. was twice. I mean, <laughs> it's important that, that everybody knows he once was dead, but now he's alive. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, we were dead to our disease. We were dead to the unmanageability we're blind to all these things. We were lost while we've been out there running. And yeah, when we walk through the doors, God and the angels celebrate. And there are some that turn up their nose. But we got to love them anyway. Oh, we do. Oh, we love mm -hmm. them. It's unfortunate that they have to turn up their nose. Yeah, and it's, it's still to the addiction side. It's still to the mental health side more than it is anything else. They, they could take somebody that killed somebody and they're in prison. They'll go there and they'll serve them and take care of them. And, hey, it's, it's, all, it's all good. But, man. Well, Uncle Bob down, in the, down on, he's got his wine in his bag and drinking on, on the curb. They're, they don't want to deal with him. Nope. That's a scary thing. Sorry, Uncle Bob. <laughs> We still love you, Uncle Bob. <laughs> From a distance. <laughs> what did you have, Jay? I don't know. You guys, I, I started, I don't know. Did I, you zone out? I zoned out first. I didn't zone out, but like, no. I'm, I'm, I was reading this, and then continue on. 
right, so another point in here is behind every addict is an enabler. Right? The prodigal son must have had friends that helped him spend his money and enable his lifestyle. But when he ran out of money, he had to move because he had no one. Somewhere along the way, someone may have enabled us, you know, in our addiction. We alone, though, are responsible for our own recovery. Mm -hmm. I say nobody I got high with when I was getting high is walking this recovery with me. So that makes a lot of sense there. Except for Jesus. But that's true. But he wasn't getting high with me. And I don't. He was. He just wasn't getting high. (laughs) See, and I don't call the others the enablers out there. He was already enabled when he left. That's why he left. I think is what's cool is you get to see maybe a dad that it it could be one of two ways, right? Either he was sent because he was causing too much drama. He's like, you know what? Boundaries are you could go. So go out and figure out life. If that's what you want, and that's what we teach people when we go do interventions, you may have to kick them out. You may have to um, let them live on the streets. But what if they die? Well, they're going to die in your house. Which one is it going to be? Because at least if they're out in the streets and you make their world small, they have a chance of survival. They have a chance of we can make the world small enough to help them implement change because we can't force them to change. Mm-hmm. And so dad said, all right, you're causing enough ruckus, <laughs> enough drama in the house. Here's your inher- inheritance. Beat it. So I think that's good for them. They get to go out there. So I don't know if I would call the people that he was partying with enablers. I'd just call them idiots, um, using them up. Gold diggers. <laughs> and, and you can look at it. I mean, we all had those friends that the only reason they were around, I mean, they didn't enable my bad behavior. I enabled theirs because I was the one with the money. Hmm. So they just mooched. They just mooched off of us while we had the money and they didn't have the money. And nobody likes a mooch. Yeah, and, and that, those are the things that I was thinking of. When the father split the inheritance, was he afraid to tell the son no in a codependent way? Or was he really trying to just say, hey, get out of this house and let your world get small? Mm. And I say that's what God does to us, right? He says, you could turn from me because I want you to freely love me. And if you're not going to do that, then go ahead and you'll turn around and you'll come back to me. Mm-hmm. You'll figure out my love, my grace, my mercy is here for you. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I don't think that the father was enabling. I think the father was like, if this is what you want to do, this is your choice. You're going to make it, right? Whatever the consequences are, right? And and he loved his son no matter what, you know? I mean, he could have just said, I disown, I, I disown you, right? When he saw him coming, he didn't have to kill the fatted calf. He didn't have to throw a party. Nope. You know, he didn't have to do any of that. He could have said, leave him out there, but he didn't. He loved him enough to let him go. Mm -hmm. And how many people out there don't love them enough to let them go? And And that's where the codependency comes in. Yes. I could fix this. I could control it. I could make it all better. Yeah. And they can't. Sometimes we have to love from a distance. Sometimes we have to give them the freedom to go. Yep. I'll tell you, the, one of the main kickoffs of my recovery was a codependent telling me no. So, <laughs> <laughs> what was that word you just said? Excuse me. That's what it was. She was like, "I didn't know." I'm like, "Excuse me." <laughs> then she turned to him and said, "Just so you know, just no you is know. a complete sentence. <laughs> it's a complete sentence. <laughs> <laughs> it was. <clears throat> made me wake up and recognize because my world was made small." So what, what other points did you have, D? We have here, there is strength and weakness. As he set off on his journey, the prodigal son seemed to share, <clears throat> excuse me, the prodigal son seemed so sure of himself. Later, he was so hungry that even the pods he was, does that say, it does say, even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. Verse 16. So we can keep in mind that we are weak, but Jesus, our higher power, is strong. Are you looking it up now? (laughs) Therefore, I could boast more gladly of my weaknesses. Mm. That's what he's looking for. Well, I was looking at... uh... So once again, I mean, I almost want to get out my sermon from this past weekend. When I talk about it. um, I mean, the thing is, is... Those of us in recovery, we don't want to hear. We want to hear hope, but we don't want to hear how big and bad you are. 
we, we want you to lead from your brokenness. We want you to lead from your weakness because when we are weak, he is strong. And we know that coming in, and that's why we must remain humble, um, teachable, because otherwise it's our strength, and then nobody really wants to be around us. I'm glad you brought that up, being teachable. Because, you know, in my in my career now, and I teach, you know, a lot of groups mm-hmm. and stuff like that, to end up, you know, addicts and that, and they seem like they're willing to learn and they seem hungry, but as soon as they get right back out there, they're not hungry anymore, right? They're not being teachable anymore. They think they got this. You know, I, I, I did 30 days up in that program. I got this. Yeah, yeah you do. We all know yeah, how that sure. works, you know. Unfortunately, they learned the hard way. Did you find your what you were looking for? Well, yet? I found one of them um, from Second uh, Corinthians thirteen, um, verse four. For to be sure, he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by God's power. Likewise, we are weak in him, yet by God's power we will live with him in our dealings. Strength made. What? 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 I'm sorry. Way, I, was, I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> I wasn't either. Oh my God. Wow, Derek, Derek is seeing it. We're, yeah. we're in a new place today, of course. I, of course. There's people yeah. out in the hallway. And I'm new, so he's like, oh, I'm excited. You're new. There's that too, yeah. yeah there's there's the thrill of the whole night. His strength is made perfect in weakness. Yes. Like yes. There you go. Yes. Second Corinthians so, 12, 9 and 11. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, oh, for my God. power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. I have that highlighted there, too. That's the wrong verse from a kid's song. <laughs> Good job. Good we job. are weak, but he is strong. You could go on and say, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. I just did. Oh, did you? I didn't. I, I couldn't hear. I wasn't listening. He wasn't listening. <laughs> and you know you have headphones on I for do. a reason. Yeah, I do. If he needs to turn them up for you so you can hear us, he can do so. Maybe we could. Uh, is that better? Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Oh, yeah. That's good. That's better. That's better. Oh, my goodness. Wow. You should be able to hear, like, everything and then amplified. Some. Yes. I mean, can everything. everything? Yeah, I can hear everything. All right, good. Do we need to do a hearing test on you? No. I'm like, usually. What? Yeah. I have my hearing aids. Do you need them? I don't get off topic. Let's move on to the next, next one here. Because this one actually is a strong point. I actually like this one. Recovery begins when the rescuing ends. Yes. The prodigal son came to his senses because his family didn't try to rescue him. Only family may have, our family may have made excuses for us and bailed us out over and over. You know, the codependent wives. Instead of looking for someone to rescue us, we must take the responsibility of our own crimes. <laughs> crimes. It doesn't say that, but that's what came to mind. You know, the mistakes that we made. Just our own actions. All right, yes, there you go. I mean, crimes works, but even if you're not using it, it's something else. It's just consequences to our actions, positive or negative. Mostly negative. But I would say that goes back to exactly what... Yes. I said earlier, yeah. dad, yes. dad, let him go, yep. and I'm going to love you from a distance. And mm-hmm. you go make those choices that you want. So, yeah, I, I love that piece. What I'd love to know is what happened after the party. How was the son treated after the party, after the big homecoming? You know, like we could say, okay, after the honeymoon phase. I, I'm making air quotes, but like. For those of you all listening. Yeah. You know what? What happened to the prodigal son? Did did he start working in the family business, or you know, did he go back to his ways? Because he's like, oh, dad made all this extra money while I was gone. Maybe I need my inheritance again. You know, because like, let's call it relapse. Did well, we he relapse? That. I was so thinking he just took over the, the family business. Yeah. Relapsed and yeah. went back to his. What happens then? Chaotic ways. Yeah. But the nice thing is, is dad already knows he put him out again. Yeah. This time he said, guess what? You're leaving with nothing. You're leaving with what you brought. Nothing. That's the Bible remix. <laughs> the story of the prodigal I mean, son. If, if, yeah. if, if we're going to do hypotheticals, look what dad did the first time that we hear about the story. If dad right. put him on and said, here, take your money and go, just beat it, then what would he do the next time? He's not going to split it this time because uh-huh. this way son will come back quicker because 
each time we know that our addiction, our, our disease manifests quicker, right? We took a little time off and so it's gonna manifest even quicker this next time. Mm-hmm. Which means if I send him out there with money, there's a good chance he won't be back because he won't be alive. But if I send him out there with nothing, he's not gonna stay long. We know he can't survive. He couldn't right. figure out how to save money or anything else. So he'll be back in no time. Mm-hmm. No time. And then oh, I'm gonna yeah. send him the treatment this time <laughs> After you write out the plan for him to sign, right? Yes. Yeah, don't worry. We'll have the treatment plan. We'll have it all. We'll It'll be ready. So what kind of treatment facilities did they have back then? Prison. Death. Death. Jails, institutions, and death. I don't know where the institution would be, but they might have had something. Who knows? In the caves. Remember the story of the crazy guy in Ooh. the caves? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Those were the institutions oh, <laughs> wow. I wonder what the straight jackets looked like back then. Uh, sheep hide. Was, side to side. <laughs> was the booty dart a rock that they hit you upside the head? Yes. With? Yes, it was a big rock. But they didn't stone you with it. It's just one, one time. One knocked out. Yeah. yeah. See, that, that's a good question. Because they didn't know about concussions. Have you ever then. been hit with a booty dart? No. Okay. <laughs> Do you want to so, be with a booty right, dart? What, is, what are you calling this? A, a booty dart. A booty dart. Because they shoot you in the butt with it. Okay, a tranquilizer. So when I was in the psych ward and I threatened to break the doctor's legs off and beat him with them, I got hit. <laughs> Boosh! Okay. And I was out. And that was the sound it made. And the <laughs> next thing I know, it was down in St. Charles instead of Winsville. <laughs> so we just called it a booty dart. Booty dart. Okay. okay. Yes. Yes, the nurses in the audience are going, it's not called a booty dart. <laughs> <laughs> he only says that because it's going to be his wife. <laughs> or mine. Well, whatever, <laughs> yeah. whatever it is called, please let me know. <laughs> Otherwise, it's a booty dart. <laughs> right. Oh, my goodness. So number five here says, life change is a must-have. After the prodigal son repented and turned his life around, there was a great celebration. It's not just enough for us to admit we have our problems. We also have to be willing to turn our life around. Once we are willing to do the work, God will give us the strength to do it. I like that one. That's very good. My question would be, why is it so hard for people to come back to the Father? That's a good point. And I'm thinking guilt and shame. Hmm. They feel wrong for what they did. You know, they growing up in wrong, church, or they feel wronged. No, a lot they of feel wrong. Talk to feel wronged, where they think God did all of this to them. That is true. I, God allowed them to get well. into that addiction. God allowed them to get into the gutter. Why didn't God save me when He had the chance to? Oh, but He did. But what happens if God stops you from going into the gutter and stops you from making these decisions? We'll just find another gutter to go into. No, so no. God keeps stopping you from doing so. Then what is that? Codependency on steroids? A lack of free will. A lack of free will. Mm-hmm. Right. So God stops you, then that means God has to stop the next person. Now God is just, there's no more free will. God is playing God. What I like about this thing right here, though, and this is another reason why I think that people won't come to Christ with this. Once we are willing to do the work, you can't just be like, hey, God, I'm sorry, you know. What's the word for that? Doing work? the work. What is the word? There's another word for that. Somebody Recovery. I know. Some, no, somebody I know knows the definition of that backwards and forwards and frontwards and backwards. What process? See, si, senor. The process. It's a process. A series of actions or steps taken in order to achieve a particular end. Not so I have backwards. to take action <laughs> to work the steps in order to have that particular end, life change in my life. Right. And one of the things I share in a group is like, <laughs> you so, gotta put, sometimes, you know, we call upon the Lord to come in and help us in our recovery and guide us, and he does. And it just comes naturally. But those are the times, just like this is saying, we gotta put forth the work to get those blessings in our recovery. They don't just come to us. We gotta get off of our butt, get out there, put forth the work, and get it. I do have a question though, which which a lot of people I think get confused about. Um, does God tempt us all the time? No, no, He doesn't tempt us. 
But some people say that, right? I mean, the, the, the analogies you were given was, well, God made me do this. God right. made me do this, right? right. And, and people think that God tempts them, but God doesn't tempt us. Correct. Right? I think most say God allowed. I'm, I'm trying to think if, if I've heard people, and, and maybe everybody else has, if I've heard them say God tempted me or, or God made this happen to me. I hear God let more than anything. God let it happen, yeah. What's the difference between letting and tempting? Because he would have never let it happen because that was the temptation. No. So, so God didn't put that temptation in front of them, but God didn't stop it from happening. That's the difference between letting and tempting. Me tempting you is if this is something you want, I'm shoving this in your face. God, God had it over here. I do, I do want that pen, actually. I, I know you do, but you can't have it. <laughs> Tactile so, turn. So God had it out of sight, out of mind, and gave you resources and tools to use, but you chose not to. God didn't tempt you with holding a, a drink in front of your face going, hey, I know you really want this. I know you, That's the enemy. I don't know. He made gas stations, yeah. and those gas stations were very tempting. Right. <laughs> well, then it sounds like you need some, some good boundaries in your life joking. after walking I'm that gas joking. station. I know. I know. <clears throat> Seriously, so, I mean, AA meetings are tempting to me. Oh, are they? they oh, they make me want to drink. Oh, jeez. <laughs> you got to find it's the right terrible. one. Uh, yeah, I haven't found the this right one. This isn't a knock-on Actually, on we was one as you <laughs> shared it, and we all felt like drinking when we were done. What? Not from your share. but Oh, well, thanks, guys. It wasn't your share. I'm just saying it was what you shared it. Look, man. <laughs> we can go into a lot of meetings though and we're gonna when we leave we may our arms may be tingling or we may be jones is that a heart attack no um uh, just with the way that people share mm. they will trigger you no matter what kind of meeting whether it's sure. a celebrate recovery mm. aana mm. some people just don't know how to share well especially in early recovery yes i mean early yeah. in recovery there's i mean you have people you know, we see this, you know, people with less than 30 days of sobriety, and it's, they get triggered by the littlest stuff, right? Well, I'm talking about, they do most of the triggering because they don't have any recovery to well, speak yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, so, And they're still living in the glory days of their addiction. Yeah. Well, not only that, but I mean, think about it. The longer you have, so Christine and I went to Kansas City to share our testimony over at Langland's place, right? And we got done, and when we gave him the testimony, because we had rewritten a lot more into it, and it was almost 4,000 words. So we had to like talk really fast. I don't know. But really, with as soon as you start getting up there and you start doing all these things in recovery, you almost got to stand up there and say, okay, here's a couple highlights. Boom, 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 and just bullet point. Right. I drank. I used. I almost died. Now let's go. Now Here's let's share the, the fun. The story, right? And I mean, share those words up front. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus that struggles with addiction. My name is Shane. I used, I was abused, and I almost died. And here's my sobriety date. Now I want to tell you everything that God has done in my life. And you could take the next hour doing so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But when you only have 30 days of sobriety, well, I went to treatment and I completed it. And now I don't know my name yet. And I'm still shaking. Yeah. I can only fill my coffee up this much, otherwise I'll spill it. <laughs> that was me. That was me. Yeah. <laughs> the nurses literally had to put the medication in my mouth because I was so shaky. Yeah. That was bad. Oh, that's bad. And it's so bad. when you get yeah. out and you're still that way, you don't have a way to share. That's why it's so important for anybody with some sobriety time to share at meetings. They could share experience, strength, and hope. They could give us solutions to problems without trying to fix us. Tell me how you got through something. Don't tell me how I could get through something because I'm not going to listen to you. I don't even like you. <laughs> okay, so this is so off topic and I love it though. What about how do we help guide those people who have the sobriety? They've got years under their belts, but they still don't know how to share because they're still being negative Nancy's about every little thing that's going wrong in their life. Uh, go ahead. Ask them if they work the steps. Oh. Yes. When I'm sharing, I should never say you, right? Like you need to. I've been to meetings, right? And I don't go to a meeting now because of this, right? There was a gentleman in there who would say, "Yous need to do this. You need to do that." Mm-hmm. Don't, don't, don't tell me what I need to do, right? Don't share, preach at you. Share, mm-hmm. yeah. Don't preach at me, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because I, I instantly turn off, mm-hmm. you know. And especially those that are new to recovery, you come and you hear that, I'm out, right? You know. I'm either out or I checked out. 
and neither one of them are good. Good, right. But as I said, so we have to ask them if, I mean, truly, if they're still experiencing and still so negative, I would do it offline. I mean, as soon as the meeting's over, hey, let me have a conversation with you. Anything going on? Do you have a sponsor? You've worked through the steps. I mean, the one thing I do is hear you share problem after problem after problem. Who wants to stick around recovery if 30 years of sobriety gets you nothing but problems? Right. That's, yeah. I mean, I don't know if that's, I, I can't think of any individuals off the top of my head, but I know that I've been to different meetings and nothing but negativity for people that I would assume would be sober for many years and in recovery for many years. Maybe they're just sober and they're not really fully taking on the recovery. Like you said, did you really work the steps? Did you say something about once before, you know, it was one thing if you were a jerk when you were drinking, 30 years later, you haven't worked your recovery and you're still a jerk. Why don't you just go back to drinking because ain't nothing changed. Just tolerable for a little bit? <laughs> well, and when they're drinking, they are tolerable for about an hour. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, first and 45 so then, minutes at least. Yeah. <laughs> and that's why old-timers a lot of time would hand them $5 and say, hey, just go ahead and go drink. Come back when you're ready. I'm like, man, that is brutal. <laughs> that is brutal. I yeah. mean, it is brutal. But it's it's the truth. It, we have to be willing to put in the work. It goes back to putting the work, working the steps, doing those things. That's, that's what's going to change this. We have to have a heart change. And that's why we say, what is it about life change? Well, when life change happens... We're no longer just a crabby old man or a crabby old lady. We're, we're joyous of what God has done in our lives. Now, we may go through trials, which we always will, but now it's time to share experience, strength, and hope. Here's what happened, and here was my solution to it, right, or God's solution to this problem. These steps, applying these steps and these principles into this problem allowed me to do this. And once we start sharing that, now others here and that's why it's so important for us to share, and hopefully it rubs off on somebody. They need to hear that we still struggle, and they need to hear that we did something. And here's what they did to get through it. Sounds good. All right. How are we doing on time? We're actually at, 40, at 39 minutes. Really? Yeah. Oh, so we I'm got like, all kinds of time. Let's have fun then. I'm like, well, <laughs> we're, if we're doing, if we're doing an hour or? at a time. Do we take a break and then, you know, do, just anyway, we'll figure it out when we get there. Uh, <laughs> but actually, let's rest our minds for a minute. Uh, is this live? Reclaiming Hope. No. Oh, okay. Yeah, let's talk about Reclaiming Hope. <laughs> let's talk about Reclaiming Hope real quick. Reclaiming Hope of this Church and Recovery Center. How's that going along? So I should be getting a call. They are writing. The one thing I didn't really know how to do, there was a lot that I didn't know how to do that I had to research, but one of the last things that was needed was um, policies and procedures. And so... Our lawyer is actually writing up the policy and procedures right now, and so we'll hopefully have it done here shortly so we can find out where in Wentzville we will be resting for a little while. Wentzville? Huh? Yeah. Okay. Missouri. What's your thing? Missouri. I thought, well, I was thinking more Lake St. Louis, um, O'Fallon area, but... No, Wentzville is kind of like a good central hub, and it's packed. Is it fine with you? Is it, is it okay with you? It is. <laughs> I'm excited. <laughs> I'm excited, though. No, I mean, I'm I guess excited. I could do Wentzville. Hopefully we can get a room that we can just set up and be able to get into. <laughs> we will. You know, We will. Um, and then another thing that's funny about it is I just had a meeting today with um, Steve, Dustin, and Devin from The Bridge. And we were sitting down talking at lunch with oh, the, the Cybergs. The boy huh? band and their manager. Hey, would you? Yeah. Well, yes. I love those guys. Yes. <laughs> I agree 100%. It, it is funny. It's, it is awesome. But we were having a conversation today, and they want um, us to email them, what is your dream setup? Because they've been meeting with the, the architect and that for, when, for the move. Oh, that's right. And they so, want to build. Yes. They've got the property now? Oh, they've had, they've the, had property, the property. And they yeah. right now they're – so the, um, the builder, whoever, whatever he is, calls it the promised land he says now you can't have the promised land yet but we're going to start here so what is it that you want and so we're going to send them what we want for that building as well so to answer your question we are getting there once he gets done with the pro um the policies and procedures policies and procedures. yeah then we'll we'll know a little bit more so hopefully it won't take too much longer supposedly it was going to be right here in may 
So if that's the case, week away. Yes. Nice. Week away. That's great. That is Reclaiming Hope <laughs> Recovery Center and Church. So looking forward, we're looking forward to it. That's that's great. Great. Yeah, and I, I would just call it Reclaiming Hope, right? We're going to call it a recovery center so people come in, but it's Reclaiming Hope. It's 100% a church. But to, the way I look at it, it's the church the way that Jesus wanted church to be done, in community with a lot of unbelievers that get to hear the word. Wait, wait, that's how, that's how church is intended to be? Have you read That's the Bible? What? What? Uh, no. I, I love your spiritual gift of sarcasm. <laughs> Try reading the red letters, dude. <laughs> spiritual gift, as long as it's used appropriately, and that was appropriate. I have no idea. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so, and that's what's going to be fun is, look, man, we get to talk about Jesus to a lot of people that have never met Jesus. And so we get to be the living Bible for them to read every day. That's what church is. I love that. Church is not where we get to go hang out. I visited a fledgling celebrate recovery yesterday, and this lady walked in late. And you could see just by the look on her face, she was broken. She's like, I came to this church for the first time today, and they said that you guys have this here. And I, I've, got a, a, I've got something missing in my life. And the only thing that I can think of that it is, is God. Mm. And it was just, it was amazing. Because... To see how someone could be so broken yet have so much hope. I was like, why don't you go to CR last night? But No, yesterday afternoon, actually. Yesterday afternoon? Yeah. CR in the afternoon, huh? Yeah. I like it. Where? Town in South County. Okay, cool. They serve yeah. lunch? Not for you. Hey, <laughs> they said that there's some pods. There's some pods for you. There's some pods for you. <laughs> I don't you. need no pods. I need food. Well, the pigs eat it, so you can eat it. The party's already been thrown for me, but I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> I hope there ain't no leftover cake then. No, no cake. cake. No cake at all. All right, let's get I'm back sorry, to these points sorry. here. Thank you for sharing with us about Real Cayman Hope. You got something you want to show us real quick, Pastor? Uh-uh. Do you want to read the mission gonna, statement? I was just going to read it. I was going to say I don't know yeah, if let's... we ever did or not. No, no I don't think but, so. But, but it, go right ahead. It'll read give it people a little little something about it. Reclaiming Hope Recovery Centers where people struggling with substance use or mental health issues and their families can uh, find hope and healing by being anchored in recovery and Jesus so that the ripple effect will empower and change others' lives in the community and the world. Amen to that. Amen. Wait, is addiction a family disease? Mm-hmm. I'm tired of families being left out. Right. Yeah. Is That's my gift of sarcasm again. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you. Oh, is that yeah. what got in my eye? Yeah. <laughs> 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 wipe that off. <laughs> that was wet with sarcasm. But we look forward to working there. And I'm sure it's, it's I mean, I know it's going to be great because God's involved, right? Back yes. to the discussion here on the prodigal son and recovery. Six point says, true love is tough. Go ahead. The father's actions were based on love and compassion. If our friends and families establish boundaries with us, ooh, big word, boundaries. Boundaries, uh Boundaries with us, they may seem harsh or cruel, but they are showing tough love to us. It is a sign they want the best for us. Likewise, we must learn to say no to the temptation, and this means we must establish boundaries too. Boundaries. Hmm. Dun-dun-dun. Yes. I think a lot of people hate that word. They do. What they really hate more is people setting boundaries against them as opposed to them trying to work together and set boundaries for themselves. My beautiful wife was like, are we going to set curbs? And I'm like, <laughs> curbs? do you want me to hit the curb and fly off the curb? Right. It doesn't make any sense, does it? Curbs, no. guardrails? Yeah, guardrails. that's what she meant. Guardrails. That's what yeah. she meant, but she said curbs. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, guardrails yeah. Are, yeah. make a little more sense, but... Yes, they do. I mean, they? curbs are there, too, to help keep you in the road. We'll yes. yes. Like yeah. you, you, said, you said guardrails because... Back in the 70s. In recovery, we say boundaries. Boundaries. In church, they say guardrails. Guardrails, yes. <laughs> How difficult was it for you guys, being new to sobriety, to set boundaries? Did you know you could set boundaries? No. Did not know that. Didn't know that I needed a boundary. Until my codependent queen set a boundary to me. <clears throat> I started to learn what boundaries actually were. 
She don't listen, so I could say stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't listen like yet. You can call her cool She's like going to listen now. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I oh, mean, that's she has given me permission to do so. Queen of ahead, No, but I mean, that's what a lot of, uh, you know, being new to sobriety, realizing that you too can set boundaries, right? Because we want to come in and, and we want to fix everything and repair everything from our past. And this is what we got to do, you know, but we can't do that. And, and there are people, including family, that we need to set boundaries with, you know, early in recovery. And right. but we think that that we're the ones that were causing all the problems. Yet, you know, Al-Anon, Celebrate Recovery, we learned that that this is a family disease. Right. And that everybody needs to have boundaries. Right. Sometimes it's Uncle Bob with his uh, paper bag Uncle that's triggered Uncle us to go out and get drunk, too. Yes. Yes. Like, if Uncle Bob can do it and make a fool of himself, why can't I? Like, how do I do family functions without alcohol? Right. You know? I you mean, don't go to those family functions. <laughs> it's pretty simple. It's, yeah. Because what, what is it? Uh, we must change our people, places, and things to give us that chance of true sobriety and recovery. What is, we're talking about these boundaries real quick, and you say don't go around these certain people. I believe... Shane, you have a story about a boundary you had set with an individual about coming over uh, to a gathering or some some kind that you have shared with us once or twice before. So my buddy, um, it's his kid's birthday, and they love to drink at his birthday. He was um, dating a Filipino, and so Filipinos love to do their big parties. Um, they cook a lot. They cook the whole pig, but they like to drink a lot. And uh, so he invited me to his son's birthday party at ICC. Yeah, ICC. Indian Camp Creek. I'll Camp throw it out Park. there because we love to play some uh, disc golf there. But yeah, yeah, yeah. he invited me to this birthday party. I said, buddy, I can't. You know, I'm trying to be sober. And that's just way too much for me, you know, to be around that. He said, look, if you come, nobody will drink until 1 o'clock. If you stay after 1, that's on you. But from the time it begins until 1, there's no alcohol allowed. And so I went, and my own family wouldn't do that for me. I mean, my, my family would invite me and drink, and I'm like, wait a minute, you complained about this, so yeah, it was neat. That's, that's what he did as a friend. That's just what he offered up, and nobody drank. So well, I thought it was your boundary, so it was actually a friend of yours that set a boundary, hit his own party for you to be able to come in. Yeah, my boundary was I wasn't going. Right. I mean, and that's what we have to remember, though, is, is for us to set boundaries. I can't go to that. I can't go to your house because you're going to have drinking. But one of the things we hear when we're teaching the treatment center world is, but it's my family. I have to go. <laughs> no, you don't. No, you don't. No, you don't. And if you do go, then somebody needs to be with you to make sure that you don't drink and that you will leave when, you're, when you've had too much. But at the beginning, you just don't go. It's okay to, to ask them, hey, do you remember what I was like when I drank? Do you want me to drink again? Then why are you inviting me over and having alcohol? You didn't like me when I drank, but if I come over to your house, there's a good chance I'm going to sneak into your fridge and I'm going to snag one of those because I'm only 35 days sober and I don't have enough tools in my, in my belt to get past this. Mm-hmm. So have enough respect. And having me. to deal with Aunt Gladys because, you know, she's annoying as heck. That was my grandma. Gladys. So it wasn't my aunt, it was my was granny. Grand, okay. Yeah. Was she annoying? <laughs> to make you well, want to drink? Well, she's dead. Yes, she was at oh, times. Okay. Yeah, she can. She can't come back at you. Uh, okay. Gotcha. So, seventh point to this parable. Not all rebellion is outward. Ooh. While the prodigal son rebelled on the outside, the older brother struggled with rebellion on the inside. He struggled with resentment, bitterness, jealousy, and unforgiveness. This is a good reminder for us to address the issues that we struggle with inside. What is depression? Anger turned inwards. Anger turned inwards. What's inside? Why do y'all look at me first? It's usually you got the words. Right? <laughs> You've been preaching a little longer than we have. <laughs> but isn't that also where uh, I'm? A, I'm going to just throw this out here, and I don't mean it to sound harsh because it might sound harsh. But isn't that where secular recovery is only focused on getting you sober, but not focused on the underlying reasons why you can't stay sober? It's, 
or is that a misconception that yes. I have? Yeah, I, I, and I, again, I think, yeah, I think it all goes back to the group you find, right? Mm, okay. Um, you know, my sponsor, my secular sponsor has 37 years of sobriety. Congratulations. Um, he, yeah, I just got 37 years. Um, but he goes to, goes to meetings. He's, he's very open about his faith, you know. Um, he doesn't, um, I don't remember his reason for this. He doesn't do the Our Father at the end because of, I, I don't know, some personal Lutheran reason, right? He's Lutheran. Um, <laughs> nothing wrong with Lutheran. I was, by the way, I was Lutheran high school. <laughs> You're not university. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, no, because I was raised Lutheran. Yeah. Um, but, um, and we're in a Lutheran church. We are. Yes. Yes. Currently, yes, we are. Yes. True. So, um, I'm getting off topic here, but a wonderful he, the, the whole point is, is the spiritual side of it, right? I don't, I personally couldn't get sober without some medical help, right? I had some deep underlying trauma that I needed to work through that I wasn't able to do in a, a, a step, 12 step setting, right? Not even celebrate recovery. Could I do that, right? I needed professional help and I knew I wasn't going to go out and get professional help on my own. So it, it turned me into literally being at the bottom of a bottle and the end of a barrel and, and saying, I, I need help, you know? Um, but I do believe there's a difference between spirituality and religion. I think we, that's a whole other podcast we can go into, um, you know? But, you know, real short, my dad says spirituality is when you're out fishing thinking about God and religions when you're in church thinking about fishing. Yes, I love that. Okay. It's we'll, nice we'll, we'll, have that, we'll have that discussion later. I actually <laughs> like the way that sounds. Though. Trust me, go if I'm out there fishing, God's with me. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Well, you need all the help you can do when you're fishing, probably. Uh, I, I just don't fish. <laughs> I, I go I to actually, the store. Yeah, I don't it. go fishing anymore because the only thing I ever caught when I went fishing was high. Was a buzz. <laughs> yes. Oh, jeez. All right. So, and but there it is. I like what you said at the beginning. It depends what meeting you go to. Absolutely. At the beginning of everybody's journey, we just need you not to use for a while. Right. Mm -hmm. And it is only about not drinking, not using. And to learn how to live your life not using? Yeah. It, it's, it's to get you. I mean, you have to get a little time under your belt. Mm -hmm. But we're going to have to get to the deep-rooted issues. Otherwise, you won't. Sometimes we need to seek professional help. Right. Um, but is what's funny is even while seeking professional help, most professionals can't get to everything and all the root causes without the map from a four-step. True. The four-step is the greatest tool we have to give us a map. But then the problem is now you have to know how to guide them through that trauma, and that's where a trauma therapist really comes in or, or a professional comes in. Right. Yeah. The thing is, is in order to get that four-step, I have to understand step one. Mm -hmm. Right. And I have to understand step two. I have to understand step three. Right. Where I think a lot of people, especially in the secular world here, go wrong is, you know, step one, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, our lives unmanageable. Yo, well, yeah, that's why I'm here. OK, then let's move on to step two. Right. And then you do steps one, two and three in, in a five minute conversation. And then we start working to step four. That's how that's how some people sponsor, which, hey, if that's how you sponsor. Great. Right. But not if, great. But. Yes, yeah, it works for you. Yeah, that's, it, it's but it not great. But it doesn't work for you. Like, you have to put, you know, I'm going to shamelessly talk about you, but, like, putting pen to paper is so important. Yes. Right? And I have to define what those words mean. What does powerless mean to me? What does unmanageable mean to me? What does admitted mean to me? And then I have to figure out what I'm powerless over. And then what areas of my life are unmanageable? Right? And then it's the same thing with step two, is defining those key words in there and realizing what the reason of the step is. And I think that's where a lot of people get lost is because they just go to the fourth step. And then for me, you know, the many times I tried to get sober, I never did a thorough fourth or fifth step. Mm. You know, I left those little parts off, those traumatic parts that I didn't want to talk about because I didn't want to tell anybody. Right. But once you let all that stuff out, it is the most freeing thing on the face there. It's good to hear you say. I, I know some people say you need to speed through steps. And, and I mean, look, I, I, I agree. Getting through the steps the first time, because we're going to continue at a good pace, 
is important. Mm -hmm. Don't take two years to do a four-step. It don't take that long. You know, dive in and get it done. Set aside some time to do it. Um, But, yeah, we need to make sure that we're thorough with steps. I mean, one, two, and three are the most important. Because until I believe that there is a, a God greater than myself that wants to help restore me to sanity, until I admit that, nothing's going to change in my life mm-hmm. because I'm still going to play God. Mm-hmm. But we also have to understand what restore means. We yeah. have to understand what sanity means, right? So I, uh, I just taught a sponsor workshop, I guess you could call it. They, they did a regular training for it, and then I went in and talked about how to sponsor people. Like, mm-hmm. here's, we learned to sponsor because of how we were sponsored. Correct. I had to look up definitions of words. I mean, that's why I know the word, the, the definition of process so well. <laughs> that word was plastered over everything that I, I looked at in a day. So I had to look at it constantly. Um, you will probably find post-it notes somewhere in my mom's house still because I lived with her when I got out of treatment because I didn't own anything anymore. I didn't plan on being here. Um, but... It's important that we look up these words, we understand them. What did they mean to us before recovery? What did they mean to us now in recovery? Plus what the definition is so we know what it is. Mm-hmm. Because even there's words that we're going to look up, and, and that, that word meant something totally different to us before we got to recovery. But now that we see it for mm-hmm. what it is, it's like, oh, wow, that's powerful. Mm-hmm. Like the definition of process, to me, it would have never been powerful. But now it is. Um, and going back to what you were talking about, about definitions, and writing what you're powerless over. Anybody ever say the uh, serenity prayer bunch, especially when we first mm-hmm. got sober? So there was a girl yesterday that said, do. one of my, huh? You still do? Yeah. Still do. Yeah. yeah. So one of the assignments that she gives to, especially her new sponsees, is in the, in the serenity prayer, um, you know, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. So she has them write down all those things you cannot change. And then, what you don't have power over, what you do have power over, what you can change, what you cannot change. And so she has them list all these things, right? And I'm like, oh, man, what a great assignment to give somebody. Mm-hmm. I'm like, thank you. And that goes back to your teachable. I loved hearing that. I, I wrote notes right on the back of the, the training paper. I'm like, I know I'm here to train you, but let me take this with me because this mm-hmm. is a nugget I don't want to leave. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I mean, it's important that we do that. It's important that we do the work. Mm-hmm. So we got a couple more here real quick, but we're running out of time. Eight, an addict must own up to their consequences. Part of the prodigal son's recovery was facing consequences. For example, one thing he had to live with for the rest of his life was that everything his father owned would go to his older brother. The same is true for us. When we recover from addiction, we must own up to our actions. And everything goes to our father? No. It goes to the older brother. I was just saying everything goes to our father. Right. That's what it said here. <laughs> All the glory goes to him, not my brother, but yes. <laughs> yeah, <that's late. laughs> I didn't know where you were going with that at first. Uh, dude, so, I read exactly what was written here. I didn't make nothing of it, so I went along <laughs> on that one. All right. So it's that means do not it. making sense to me, though. Even though we don't really get anything out of it. I think that's kind of what it's saying, yeah. I mean, that's that's why I understand that. We're going to do it even though we don't get anything out of it, but don't we get something out of it? We do. Well, just like the, you know, you know, he didn't get none of the wealth. He still had a roof over his head. He had a meal at the table. He, things that, you know, he received a lot of different things outside of what he had already blown. So he was ac- actually richer than he had ever been. Yeah. Because actually now he probably appreciated it more too. Yeah. I mean, I don't have to worry about what my brother's going to get. I'll be able to get mine in the end. But if if I could have that life change, I'm richer than I ever have been. I mean, before he left, obviously he didn't feel too good about himself. He probably hated who he was and looked at in the mirror. Hmm. That's a good point. That's something they don't teach in the church, but about the prodigal son. What if he left because he didn't feel good about himself and what he was at? There ain't no other reason why he left. I mean, he left because he hated who he was. And so then he went out and tried to mask that pain, that shame, that guilt. I'm going to go, I'm going to mask all those things by doing this. 
And then when it runs out and I don't have anything to protect me anymore, mm -hmm. I become vulnerable. And now I'm going to write all these stories on the way back to, to my father. Of he's not going to love me. He's not going to accept me. I'll, I'll start at the bottom. I'll do all these things. And that's the stories we tell ourselves. We don't deserve it. We're not good enough as we're walking home. And then sometimes we don't even make it back because of those stories or we make it back. And then when God is sitting there with his arms open for us, it wrecks us. And then when that life change happens, we're richer than we ever have been. We're happier without anything than we ever were with much. Mm. Amen. That's a very good point. Anything else? Yeah, we've got a couple more here. Addiction affects the whole family. Thank you. I know we've discussed that a couple times. <laughs> no, I was going to say, right? didn't we already cover that one? Thanks for paying attention here. <laughs> the consequences of the prodigal son's poor choices affected not only his relationship with God, but his entire family. If you struggle with addiction, it is recommended that your family get help too. Oh, go, go figure. Encourage Thanks. them to go to a life recovery group or some other uh, licensed counselor. So whoever that other person is, codependent anonymous, so CODA, Al-Anon, Naranon, um, go get a therapist, please. Work through the trauma of what might have happened because it is important. Yes. We hear it a lot as, I didn't cause any of this. There's nothing wrong with me. Hmm. You have a role in all of this, and it's up to you for your healing. Because it takes a village to raise a child, right? So we're, we're all culpable in one way or another. Whether we've helped enable the person or somehow we hurt that person along the way and that's why they're doing what they're doing. But either way, they're hurting. Yeah. I mean, the pain that a codependent feels when they can't fix, control, manipulate that other person, that's a spiritual death. I mean, so that pain is, is the same pain that I feel when I looked in the mirror and I didn't want to look in the mirror because I couldn't stand who I was looking at. Mm -hmm. So it's the same pain, just a different symptom of the way it comes out. Mm -hmm. But this root is still the same. And so they have to get help, and it's up to us to encourage them. Right. And, and that's the hard part, you know, is, is getting the family members who don't believe they're suffering from the addiction to admit that they play a part in it, right? Because they're like, well, I'm not the one with the problem. I'm not the one with the drinking problem. I don't have the heroin issue, the fentanyl issue, you know, the meth issue. It's their problem. Well, how do you contribute to it? You know, because some somewhere in there, you're contributing to it somehow. They were a non-agreeable part of the using. Why not be an agreeable party to the recovery? And how many relationships do we see that struggle when when one person is, let's say one person's the addict, right? And the other person's the, married to the addict. How many marriages, we'll talk about marriages, struggle because this person, the addict, is doing all the work to stay sober and the family member's not doing anything to change? All of them fail. All of them fail. Yes. That's why when we meet with them, the first thing that we say, whenever I walk in, I say, okay, who's my weakest link? My first question to an entire family, and they all point to them. I've witnessed it. <laughs> and they all point to the, the person that it is. And I say, okay, so we're going to get you help because you're going to need it. Because this is going to be painful. This is going to hurt. But you still have to get fixed because if we send that person away and they come back and they, they're working on themselves and they get better and you don't get, get help, now I have one healthy person and another unhealthy person. So the only thing you're going to do is you're going to go find somebody else to, to do the same thing with. Mm -hmm. But if I get you healthy and they get healthy and you guys build a build on a relationship with God, man, that marriage is unstoppable. Mm -hmm. Look at yours. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I know. I was going to say, look at mine. You know, my wife, like I, I say she's queen codependent. <clears throat> she admits to being queen codependent. You know, I mean, how many times I talk to her, oh, this is going to be my last time. If you just allow me to do it now, I won't do it again. Mm -hmm. <laughs> few times you know it happened but it wasn't if she was did not work on herself the time I was working through my recovery if she wasn't working through her own we wouldn't have the relationship we have now by no means mm -hmm. because she would allow me to get away with something 
and I would have probably more likely fed off of it because that's just mm -hmm. a d dummy I am. She gave you an inch, and you took two miles. <laughs> At least. Yeah. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <coughs> but... Yeah, she had to work on her in order for our relationship to be where it's at today. Yeah, I, I honestly, I, I don't know what I would do, right? But if, if I were to take a step back and go into to my wife's shoes and the, the, the roles were reversed, I don't know if I could have been as gracious as she's been to me. Hmm. You know, I just, I, I, I don't know if I could. I would like to think I would, right? But... I just think if I would have done that to myself, <laughs> yeah, yeah right. she ain't shaking right. his head. No, I wouldn't have. You that's know? why it's easy. <laughs> and not always, but that's why a lot of times you don't have, it's not the male that's the codependent. Right. I mean, we have the codependent issues right. inside of us. I mean, everybody does. But it's usually the female is the codependent. Mm -hmm. And you see that a lot more than you do the other way. You just do. A lot of times... It's either two addicts, so I have a male and a female that are both addicts, mm -hmm. or I have the female codependent. It's not usually the other way around. Right. I mean, it happens, just not often. Right. Because why? It's just like why the women have babies and we don't. Because <laughs> we couldn't handle it. Jeez. What? I don't know what I'm doing. I'm glad the camera's not Sound check, sound check. <laughs> wow. All right. One more, one more point here real quick. Let's get to this. <laughs> Confession is healing. The prodigal son confessed to his father, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. Verse 18. His repentance and confession led to the prodigal son reconciling with his family. We must confess our sins to the Lord, who, those whom we've hurt, and those we trust to find healing. This kind of goes with step five there, right? Oh, yeah. Confess, yes. Confess to God. To ourselves and to someone we trust. So I, I guess we have to assume from that the prodigal son did everything afterwards that he was supposed to do. Because it, it's not just repentance that that happens. I mean, repentance is turning from and toward God. And so we have to assume that he never went back to that lifestyle. So that's the way Jesus told it. <laughs> Well, Jesus didn't fill it, so that way you could, you could just finish it. There, there was a, a lesson that he wanted you to learn when he told you the part of the story that he told you. Right. He told you enough to learn what you needed to learn. If you were smart enough to open your ears, you were good. If you weren't, uh, well, then you missed the boat again. <laughs> and Jesus is the only one that could walk on water, so you, you're waiting. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that's the point I wanted to bring up, especially in recovery, is the prodigal son thing, being able to give yourselves back to God and through the guilt and the shame that we we put ourselves through throwing away what God has given us. God is there, open arms, ready to put nothing but fine clothing on us and greet us back into his home. And then I pray that individuals actually come to find that, that just because you screwed up, you made mistakes, he still loves us and he's still there to take us in. And that we... What's the word you use? Repent and turn away from our old ways. Mm. He's still willing to kill the fatted calf for you. Come That's home. Right. That's <laughs> all you got to do. We'll eat well. <laughs> we big guys. We're going to eat. <laughs> <laughs> we will eat well. Right on. Well, thank you guys uh, for joining us here today. And then if, you like, if you like what you heard or like what you saw, like us, like us on the YouTube. And join us. On the podcast, I can't I like remember that. what thing I'd like us on the YouTube. Yeah, yeah. I believe it's okay. like, share, subscribe. Like, share. that's it. There you go. See like, everybody. Share. I had it actually written down before I said this, but I don't. Know. My God bless. Oh my yes. gosh. Yes. God bless everyone.